Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Well, welcome. How are you guys doing? You staying warm? Welcome to you in person and those online as well. So this last week I was talking to somebody uh, from northern Minnesota and we were just chatting and they said, man, it's getting downright balmy up here. And I said, well, what does that mean? They said, well, two days ago it was 35 below, last night it was 8 below and today is going to be 16. I think we're going to get our bathing suits out. <laughs> it's all kind of relative, isn't it? So it's great to have you here today. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about this last week. Um, Unless, I think unless you're a really young child or you're totally oblivious to life, you realize that life comes with an emotional weight to it, doesn't it? There's weight to life. There's emotion to life. There's a, a heaviness to it oftentimes. I've heard students talk about how they can't wait to graduate for many years and, and then life will be easy. I'm not so sure that's the way it works, Right? I know I continue, uh, the older I get, the more responsibility I, I, I have in life. It, it just feels a little more weighty. Job, career, mortgage, spouse, family. We feel both the fulfillment of it and the beauty and the joy of it, but there's also a weight that we can't deny to the responsibilities. And that can lead, I think, to, for all of us at different times in life to an emotional weariness. On some level... I think we all experience it, though it may be different in different ways and different reasons, different seasons for us. We all navigate burdens that are not simple, which can't be relieved by just some simplistic statement like, cheer up, the sun's coming out tomorrow. Just doesn't cut it, right? This deeply formed series that we're in is addressing some of the ways our lives have gotten so cluttered with the pressures of the world and to help us to step back and begin to see who we are becoming. We want to stop and we want to reflect on what Jesus meant like when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Eugene Peterson, I love the way he talks about this. He says that Jesus, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings the Jesus life. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth and then do it any old way we like, nor can we follow the Jesus way without speaking and knowing the Jesus truth. So Peter is saying, says, Jesus truth gets far much, far much more attention in our world than his ways do oftentimes. But we cannot skip the ways of Jesus in our hurry to get to the truth of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of life, the, the path to understanding the truth of Jesus. So we've been learning the ways of Jesus, the way he lived, the way we can follow through with the same practices that he practiced, like silence and solitude and Sabbath and simplicity and, and how we can create room and create space for God and all of his goodness in our life. And as it goes with about almost anything we learn, we start off in kind of this honeymoon phase where we're ready to jump in. We learn a lot about ourselves and about who God is, and we get excited about some things. But then we get to the walking it out phase, and we can feel overwhelmed. We start to think, I can't do all this. I've heard many people say, I can't add one more spiritual practice to my life right now. And I just want to say this to you, to all of us. 
If you're feeling that kind of pressure to add one more practice to your already busy life, that's not the goal. Maybe God is speaking to you through that feeling of pressure, inviting you to see what areas of your life you can ruthlessly eliminate, hurry from, so that your life can be more simplified, more full, rather than tired and burdensome as we take the next steps and as we live the way of Jesus. So today, let's just attempt to take the pressure off there and pause and and, and just step back again and remember what we're doing and why we're doing it. I want to start today by reading a scripture, and I, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're comfortable, this, just to close your eyes and, and just take whatever posture uh, helps you receive a promise from God, because Jesus speaks to us about the weariness and heaviness of life that we can take on in life. And Jesus says this in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's read it again from Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase. He says, Jesus is saying to us, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion, burned out on life? He's saying, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love those words, come, get away. Learn the unforced rhythms of life. Learn to live freely and lightly. Still got your eyes closed. You can open them up before you go to sleep. The context of this passage is responding to how the Pharisees created a system of works, a heavy, ill-fitted yoke where People were given tons of laws through which people had to do them in order to fulfill righteousness, to do the right things, to be acceptable to God. For example, the Pharisees added over 600 regulations defining what it meant to work on the Sabbath alone. That's heavy. How do you remember all that stuff? This was a system that no one was ever going to be good enough to fulfill. The truth is there, is, uh, there was and there is no amount of law-keeping that bridges the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. Paul said, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Isaiah said it as well. All our righteous deeds are like polluted, filthy, trashed garments. Jesus speaks right to the self-righteous legalism and the pressure that we feel from that so quickly and so easily. And he says, I will give you rest from the heavy burden of trying to earn your way into right relationship to be good enough to do all the things you think you have to do in life. Take my yoke and you'll find rest for your soul. 
And I love the simplicity of Jesus' promise. It's not like the fourfold path to enlightenment of Buddha. It's not like the five pillars of peace through submission to Islam. It's not even like so many of our self-help gurus today coming up with a list of two, three, four, five, seven, ten things to have peace and contentment in life. Jesus makes the unique promise and simply says, come to me. Jesus is not saying, Try this step or this method. He simply offers himself as the solution to the burdens that we carry. Jesus says, I am the one who can give you rest. So the question, if Jesus promises rest, then why does he use this image of a yoke? I mean, how can a yoke lead us to finding rest for our souls? Jesus' imagery of a yoke refers to this heavy wooden piece used to pair animals together like oxen to make pulling a plow or heavy load much easier. And I love how uh, Frederick Bruner describes this yoke. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a vacation, a mattress, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. He goes on and says, realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We can't get away from it. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his yoke will develop us in a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we've been living. Jesus is basically saying, I'm here, I have a yoke, so come alongside of me, take the pace I take, pull in close to me, and I'll do the heavy lifting. So how do we do this? Jesus' parting words to the disciples the night before his death give us a little bit of understanding. Let's read at John 15. He says to us, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He goes on and says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Jesus uses the word remain plenty of times, doesn't he? Eight times in eight verses. Other translations translate that word abide. Both mean to make your home in, to dwell in, to continue to be present with. So Jesus' last words to his followers are saying, have your hearts and minds stay utterly, constantly connected to God, to me, to make your home with God, to continually stay anchored in him and his presence throughout each day. This anchoring 
in him is how our lives bear much fruit, much goodness, and how we know God's abounding love on a consistent basis in our life. Now, this image of the vine was actually practically applied by St. Benedict in the 6th century in what is called the rule of life. In our culture, when we hear the word rule, we tend to not like it. Rules are about authority, limits, things we can't do. And while we love, while Wendy and I loved living in Oregon for 11 years, one of the main cultural messages out there you constantly heard was rules are bad, rules constrict us, and take away our freedom. So it was a rare day when I didn't see some sort of protest sign about the government or some sort of protest going on. Yet part of us desires order and structure in the chaos of life, doesn't it? I see this in younger people today. About two years ago, uh, Jared, our youngest son, was a freshman in college, and he was drawn to a guy named Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian psychologist, intellectual psychologist, professor, who frankly often provokes both right and left in the same sentence. He published a book Jared and so many millennials and Gen Y people bought called The Twelve Rules of Life. What an incredibly boring book. Why would you buy that? And yet it was the number one best-selling book on Amazon for a year. It struck a need for many with so many choices, so many decisions, and so many directions we could go, so many options. We just want clarity in life. Honestly, too much flexibility, too many choices for us, oftentimes only increases anxiety. These young people were drawn to the belief in this book, that rules can set us free to become better people. And that's what this rule of life we're talking about today is all about. A rule, as we're talking about it, is not a law. Rather, it comes from, this word actually comes from the Greek word for trellis. It is a frame or a structure that allows a grapevine to lift off the ground so that it can grow upward and outward and it can bear the maximum amount of fruit. This trellis is a fantastic image for our spiritual life, helping us see how we need intentional framework in order to bear fruit, to lift us off the ground, to grow and keep God at the center of everything we do and are. A rule of life helps us develop practices that without them will become unfocused, distracted, and drift, resulting in our lives producing a fraction of the fruit we're capable of. See, the trellis does not cause the vine to grow. The Holy Spirit causes the vine to grow. The practices of this trellis help support that growth, connect us to that growth as we are all unique as well. Each trellis that we're going to build for our lives is probably going to be different for each and every one of us. And it's going to change throughout our lifetime. See, the truth is all of us actually have a rule already that drives our life for the way we spend our days and ultimately leads to how we spend our lives. We have consciously or unconsciously created rhythms or rules by which we live. Often our unconscious rule of life or or way we live has us actually not living in alignment with our deepest values, which is frankly why some of us have low-grade anxiety or shame or exhaustion. We are not living what we believe really matters, and that causes tension in our lives. I love how Stephen Covey talks about this. He said, we achieve inner peace 
when our schedule aligns with our values. See, our rule of life that we live by may not reflect our values. It may not be wise. It may be short-term focused on receiving instant gratification. But the question isn't, do you have a rule of life? It is, do you know what your rule of life is? And do you know what your rule of life is doing to you and creating in your life? So talking practically about this rule of life will help us as we move through the rest of this series and talk about more spiritual disciplines or practices that we could possibly incorporate in our life. And there's going to be a handout again this week, probably for every message of this whole series. So when this message gets edited and posted today or tomorrow, there'll be a handout you can download with even more thought-provoking exercises you could do if you want to think about this more. But let's let's jump into this and and first recognize that as we build a a rule of life, we need to first recognize what season of life we are in. If you have little kids... If you're caring for the elderly, elderly parents, you have so many demands. Don't try to do too much. Your rule of life is going to change from season to season in your life. If you change jobs, if you have a child, if you become empty nest, things are going to change. So be flexible. Know the capacity of your life season and know your healthy limits. The second thing to help us build a rule of life, know your personality. Some of us are more introverted and we love the, we love the more uh, the contemplative practices and we love the alone time that comes with that. But some of you are more extroverted and you value practices that are more focused on being with people. Craft a rule of life that fits who God made you to be. I mean, it's helpful to keep a balance though in this though. There, there's a really interesting idea that, uh, between upstream and downstream practices. So upstream practices are those that are really hard for you to do. It's kind of like it's hard to swim upstream in a river, isn't it? It's not natural. It doesn't go easy. It's tiring. The upstream practices often target areas where you may be weak, where you need to grow. So it's important to practice these upstream practices in some form. However, We also need downstream practices in our life which are fun, which are life-giving. Some of them may be just so natural to you that they might not even feel like spiritual disciplines because it it just is the way you're wired and the way it happens for you. We need a lot of downstream practices and we need to have a few upstream practices. Third, remember everything forms you spiritually. Watching Netflix forms us spiritually. Going to the gym, watching social media, spiritual practices, everything we do in some way forms our spirit. It makes us more like Jesus or less like Jesus. It takes from us or replenishes us. We'll be formed to be more loving and joyful peaceful people? Are we going to be formed to be be that? Or, or, Or the question is, are we going to be formed by whatever we're doing to be more anxious, angry, and unhappy? discontent. What kind of results are you getting from your rule of life is a good question to ponder. Are you getting low-grade anxiety? Are you, are you anxious all the time? Are you spending too much time on the phone? Are you in debt, stressed about money? Does it feel like God is far from you, not having close relationships with others maybe, or not liking yourself? What is your rule of life producing in you? See, All those things I just mentioned, they are byproducts of our lifestyle, of our rule of life that we live by. 
And again, remember, the end goal of the rule of life is not to complete all these practices every week. The end goal is, am I becoming more loving and joyful and peaceful with God and others year after year? So how do we develop a rule of life? Well, first we can begin by maybe writing out what nurtures you and fills you with joy. Being with other believers, reading the the Bible, cooking, planting, hunting, gardening. I don't know what it is. What is it that fills you up? Anything that nurtures your soul, write those things down. Understand what that is for you. What gives you life? What refreshes you? Maybe a second step would be to write out the activities you need to avoid as well. The things that pull you away from being anchored in Jesus. Is it excessive social media? Involvement, not getting enough sleep at night, saying yes to too many things and not knowing your limits. What are the things you need to avoid? And third step might be to identify what are the most important things to you. See, life is like packing for a trip. You can't put your whole closet in your suitcase. It doesn't fit. You bring what matters most, non-negotiables, underwear, socks, and toothbrush, and then you see what you have room for beyond that and whatever is most important for whatever season and trip you are at in life. Life fills up fast, doesn't it? It forces you regularly to confront your limits and what matters most. It can, it can be freeing to do these kinds of exercises. You may see you've been carrying some relationships in a way that you ought not to be, and you can let go. So what does your energy need to be going toward at this season of life? That's the core question. Maybe a fourth step to developing your own rule of life would be to identify a number of specific categories you need to regularly evaluate life by. I chose four, the same ones that Rich Velotis and Pete Scazzaro use. Others like John Mark Comer use seven. You can, if you read enough, you probably find anywhere from three to 20 categories that people will use. Pick something that works and makes sense to you. And create a number of boxes around those categories of life and put a circle in the middle, reminding you that the absolute center and the primary goal of all that you're doing is to love God. God, to know God and his love and receive it and give his love freely given to others. I mean, God's giving us love freely to you. It's yours. You just need to receive it. It's there. It's waiting for you. He's pursuing you with it. Last week, my daughter was, um, was talking about our trip to Niagara Falls a few years ago. Her favorite memory of that time was when we got to go really near the falls and we could kind of taste the power of the falls or sense the power of the falls. It packs a punch at Niagara. It's quite an amazing experience. And a waterfall, I think, can be a great image for us of the consistency and faithfulness of God's love. And maybe some of you need a little gentler waterfall than that. But like a waterfall, God's love, his grace, is always pouring out. If I find myself falling into condemnation or legalistic pressure to perform and feeling like I'm never good enough, trying to be good enough, in reality, I could actually be standing under the waterfall being fully drenched by the love of God and not know it because of what's going on inside of me. The question for us is how do I put myself in a place where I am receiving God's outpouring of grace and love consistently? And that's where I'm living from. 
For me, the rule of life is is broken into four specific areas. Prayer, rest, relationships, and work. So prayers is about connecting with God and silence and solitude. How am I taking time to be with God? How am I reflecting and connecting with God's word and those kinds of things? Rest is about self-care, embracing my limits. It's about setting a 24-hour period each week to stop and rest and delight and slow down. And, and it's about how am I doing with more simplicity in relation to things and commitments and debt and savings and things like that. I mean, life can be so difficult. How am I regularly including fun in my life and recreation and replenishment? Relationships is another category. How am I investing in my relationships with family and friends? Do I, do I have a group of Christian friends who support one another? If, if you're married, how, how do you... How do you invest in your marriage? And if you have children, how do you really make sure that they know that you love them and you're there for them? I think a critical aspect of of relationship also includes, do I have a healthy way of identifying my own feelings and emotions and what's going on inside of me so I'm not being hijacked by stuff I'm not fully aware of? Do I spend time journaling or talking or talking to a counselor or, or just thinking and processing what's going on inside of me in a healthy way? And then there's the work category. And biblically, there is absolutely no separation between secular and sacred when it comes to work. All work is as working for God. That's how we should view our work. We are always working for God, not for my boss, not for my customer. I'm always working for God. In what ways am I using my time and my talents and my resources to honor God and others? What passions and desires has God placed in, within me? And analyzing that and how am I living that out? What Work includes both paid work and it also includes our unpaid work at home and in the community. Work also includes what it means to be good stewards of our resources. And caring for our body could be placed here, could be placed in another category. What kind of exercise am I doing? How am I keeping myself healthy? What's my sleep like? A fifth way is then take each one of these categories and identify two or three aspects or practices or commitments within each box. And step back for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you calling me to focus on in this area of my life. Again, we're not going to be able to do every spiritual practice all the time. The rule of life is like a discernment tool in a sense that helps us see what practices are needed in this season for these priorities that I'm identifying that I feel like God is calling me to help me reconnect to the love of God so that I can receive and I can give his love fully. Maybe a sixth step in developing your rule of life is after a little bit of time, whether a day or a few weeks, whatever, step back and ask yourself, what adjustments do I need to make? What financial priorities do I need to make now because of these rules that I'm trying to live my life by? What do I need to say no to in this season? What are the implications of this for my calendar? So for me, the way I work through this, the goal is, for me to think through how I can bring my life more fully under the leadership of Jesus at every moment. For example, under prayer. I found that the prayer of silence and solitude is is a powerful practice for me to start my day with and end my day with, and I've really needed more of that in this season. I'm auditory, 
So I love listening to things. I love listening to the Bible. And I'm almost done going through the whole Bible in a year, like a plan that we started last year. So some of you beat me to the end of that plan. So good job. Kudos to you. I'm still working through it. I'm not done yet. One thing I'm actually putting back into my rule this year is a little bit more is just taking more time for slow reading of the Bible where I pause and I think about it, I imagine it, I pray the Bible as I'm reading it. Under rest, I'm asking myself the questions of how do I get replenished? For me, it's always been about running and sports and, and fun with kids, but with knee surgery this last year, putting an end to my running days and, and being essentially empty nest, I'm, I'm, I'm in the season of trying to figure out what that new plan looks like. I keep wanting to make pickleball part of that because we have a great group of pickleball people playing here, but so far I haven't been able to consistently get my schedule to allow that to happen. Sabbath lands in this arena too, something that I'm working on to be more diligent about taking an entire day off each week for restoration. And a key one for me, maybe it's for you too. How many of you don't take all your vacation every year? That's a key one for me. I need to take all of my vacation every year is one of the rules for me right now. Under relationships, I'm asking myself questions about how am I leading my family? Am I intentionally caring for my marriage? How am I, especially now with empty nest, how is all that changing? How am I parenting and coming alongside my kids now as adults in a new way? What does that look like? How am I, how am I working on a few key relationships with friends? Because I've got a little bit more margin to develop friendships now. Under work, I'm... What practices do I need to do? I'm asking myself the practices I need to, to do to re-engage and enhance focus and efficiency in the vision for what God has for me right now. Who am I empowering is a really big question for me right now. And I'm slowly actually making it through an online course I purchased earlier this year to help me evaluate what is most important to me to be doing in my role in this season of my life. And it's already resulted in some fairly substantive changes over this past year. We've got to ask the questions, what do I do about my unpaid work in my home? There I'm seeking simplicity. We downsized to a place I don't have to do outside maintenance and we just needed to buy another vacuum. And I bought a robot. I call it iVacalot. And then we bought them at the auction. We found a great deal on a mop and I call it iMopalot. So you have to name them, right? So some of you call yours Trudy and I just call mine iVacalot. Once you've written your brainstorms and your rule of life, review. Where is there life for me in this? What's life giving in this for me? And keep it accessible so you can more consistently look at what you're doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Recently, I saw again that I wasn't practicing silence quite enough. So I one day just went to the freezer. I grabbed some mint chip ice cream and I sat and I enjoyed silence with God eating some mint chip ice cream. You don't have to make it legalistic and super spiritual. Our goal is how can we more fully live in the way of Jesus, letting more and more of our lives be placed under his leadership and asking God in this season, what are you asking me to pay closer attention to? What am I to be engaging in and what am I to be saying no to or less to? See, this series pushes back on the hurriedness of our culture to take time to be more fully formed by Christ to help us start, it actually helped to start the purpose of Lent early. 
Lent is a part of our church calendar where we create space every year to, to, to contemplate for, and self, do some self-examination. For many of us, that's an upstream practice, not our favorite time of the year to do. I mean, I grew up as a pastor's kid, even, 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 mainly even so I was mainly associated Lent with Minnesota winters coming to an end. Yay! And Easter is coming, so it's going to be great fruit and celebration. And then I, I associated it with my, all my Catholic friends. For some reason, I had to eat fish sticks or lutefisk on Fridays. And I was glad I didn't have to do that. I could never understand why they had to do it on Fridays. But Lent is powerful. It's the 40 days, not including Sundays before Easter. And it's designed to help us take time to be more aware of the effects that Jesus, of what Jesus had accomplished on the cross for us. To allow the Holy Spirit to wash over you and seep just a little bit deeper in your soul, realizing more fully how sin separates us from God and what it cost him to reunite us with God. The idea is you cannot fully understand Easter if you don't understand what it took and why Jesus went there for us. So Lent actually offers us some of these same questions that the rule of life asks us. How have we gotten off track? And how can I recenter in on Jesus? See, one of the main practices of Lent is fasting. It's all of our favorite, right? Giving up something, many choose to abstain from alcohol, sugar, social media, some fast a, a meal a week or a day a week, whatever. The purpose of fasting is not to punish ourselves for our sins, Jesus already took all that punishment for us. Rather, the disciplines like fasting are meant to empty us so that the Lord can fill us. Fasting is connected to the rhythm of God. We have times of fasting and we have times of feasting. When you fast from something, we want to be intentional on what we are then feasting on. So we fast from Netflix so that we can spend more time with God in solitude or prayer or more time with family or friends in that moment even if it's only on Zoom. So you say no to something, so you say yes, so you can say yes to something else. That's the feast. That's what the rule of life is all about. If you're listening today and you're not a convinced follower of Jesus, I have a question for you. Are you ready to stop trying to be good enough and instead be yoked to Jesus and discover a way of life that leads to knowing God's love and abundant fruitfulness? If so, you can repent of your sin, you can receive the forgiveness of God, and you can yoke yourself to Jesus' leadership in his life right now. If you've drifted away from God, you can do that same thing, and you can begin to experience a re-energizing of rest and true rest in your soul. You can do it right now where you're at. You can pray in your own words. It's not magic words you have to pray. Or you can come talk to somebody down front afterwards. Or if you're listening online, you can call one of us this week. We'd be happy to talk and pray with you about it. But for all of us, what can we do this week? First and foremost, I think that we just need to just sit and be, maybe meditate on and become more aware of this promise of Jesus where he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion and life? Is it just exhausting to live life? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love this. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So remember that waterfall? Bask in that waterfall of God's love. Center yourself in that. Stand fully under it and receive more of his love and grace and let that be your motivation. Not guilt, not fear, not I need to do something more. Rest in him. Again, you can look at the handouts that we're going to have about this online this week for the rule of life. It will be posted as a message. Just, just begin a conversation with God. What brings me life? What are the non-negotiables you want me to pack in this suitcase of my life for this season of my life? And what are the things I need to say no to so that I can say yes to the better things of God that both God and I want for life? Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come to each one of us through all the, the questions and the practice of this message. And Lord, you would help us experience your love and your rest. Lord, for those who have been getting caught up and I just can't add another spiritual practice to my life, I just can't do one more thing, Lord, I pray that you would come to each one of us and, and we would experience your love in a way that, that that pressure would just melt away. And that you'd also speak to us about the things we need to let go of so that we can make room for what is truly best, what is truly fullness of life. Lord, thank you that your grace abounds, that we're going to make lots of mistakes as we do this, that we're going to do lots of trial and error, but Lord, I pray that you would come in and you would lead us to the abundance you want us to experience. In Jesus' name. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.